2: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 36, 37, and 38. From Mark Twain's A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. And now, chapter 36, An Encounter in the Dark. London, to a slave, was a sufficiently interesting place. It was merely a great big village, and mainly mud and thatch. The streets were muddy, crooked, unpaved. The populace was an ever-flocking and drifting swarm of rags and splendors, of nodding plumes and shining armor. The king had a palace there. He saw the outside of it. It made him sigh, yes, and swear a little, in a poor juvenile sixth-century way. We saw knights and grandees whom we knew, but they didn't know us in our rags and dirt and raw welts and bruises." and wouldn't have recognized us if we had hailed them, nor stopped to answer either, it being unlawful to speak with slaves on a chain. Sandy passed within ten yards of me on a mule, hunting for me, I imagined. But the thing which clean broke my heart was something which happened in front of our old barrack in a square, while we were enduring the spectacle of a man being boiled to death in oil for counterfeiting pennies. It was the sight of a newsboy, and I couldn't get at him. "'Still, I had one comfort. "'Here was proof that Clarence was still alive and banging away. "'I meant to be with him before long. "'The thought was full of cheer. "'I had one little glimpse of another thing, one day, "'which gave me a great uplift. "'It was a wire stretching from housetop to housetop. "'Telegraph or telephone, sure. "'I did very much wish I had a little piece of it. "'It was just what I needed, "'in order to carry out my project of escape.' My idea was to get loose some night, along with the king, then gag and bind our master, change clothes with him, batter him into the aspect of a stranger, hitch him to the slave chain, assume possession of the property, march to Camelot, and— But you get my idea. You see what a stunning dramatic surprise I would wind up with at the palace. It was all feasible, if I could only get hold of a slender piece of iron which I could shape into a lockpick. I could then undo the lumbering padlocks with which our chains were fastened, whenever I might choose. But I never had any luck. No such thing ever happened to fall in my way. However, my chance did come at last. A gentleman who had come twice before to dicker for me, without result, or indeed any approach to a result, came again. I was far from expecting ever to belong to him, for the price asked for me from the time I was first enslaved was exorbitant and always provoked either anger or derision. Yet my master stuck stubbornly to it. Twenty-two dollars. He wouldn't discount a cent. The king was greatly admired, because of his grand physique, but his kingly style worked against him, and he wasn't sellable. Nobody wanted that kind of a slave. I considered myself safe from parting from him because of my extravagant price. No, I was not expecting to ever belong to this gentleman whom I have spoken of, but he had something which I expected would belong to me eventually, if he would but visit us often enough. It was a steel thing with a long pin to it, with which his long cloth outside garment was fastened together in front. There were three of them. He had disappointed me twice, because he did not come quite close enough for me to make my project entirely safe. But this time I succeeded." I captured the Lord clasp of the three, and when he missed it, he thought he had lost it on the way. I had a chance to be glad about a minute, then straightway a chance to be sad again, for when the purchase was about to fail, as usual, the master suddenly spoke up and said what would be worded thus in modern English, "'I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm tired supporting these two for no good. Give me twenty-two dollars for this one, and I'll throw the other one in free.' THE KING COULDN'T GET HIS BREATH. HE WAS IN SUCH A FURY. HE BEGAN TO CHOKE AND GAG. AT MEANTIME THE MASTER AND THE GENTLEMAN MOVED AWAY DISCUSSING. AND YOU WILL KEEP THE OFFER OPEN? TIS OPEN TILL THE MORROW AT THIS HOUR. THEN I WILL ANSWER YOU AT THAT TIME, SAID THE GENTLEMAN, AND DISAPPEARED, THE MASTER FOLLOWING HIM. I HAD A TIME OF IT TO COOL THE KING DOWN, BUT I MANAGED IT. I WHISPERED IN HIS EAR TO THIS EFFECT. "'Your grace will go for nothing, but after another fashion, and so shall I. Tonight we shall both be free.' "'Ah, and how is that?' "'With this thing which I have stolen, I will unlock these locks and cast off these chains to-night. When he comes about nine-thirty to inspect us for the night, we will seize him, gag him, batter him, and early in the morning we will march out of this town, proprietors of this caravan of slaves.' "'That was as far as I went, but the king was charmed and satisfied. "'That evening we waited patiently for our fellow slaves to get to sleep "'and signify it by the usual sign, "'for you must not take many chances on these poor fellows, if you can avoid it. "'It is best to keep your own secrets. "'No doubt they fidgeted only about as usual, but it didn't seem so to me. "'It seemed to me that they were going to be forever getting down to their regular snoring.' As the time dragged on, I got nervously afraid we shouldn't have enough of it left for our needs, so I made several premature attempts, and merely delayed things by it, for I couldn't seem to touch a padlock, there in the dark, without starting a rattle out of it, which interrupted somebody's sleep, and made him turn over and wake some more of the gang. But finally I did get my last iron off, and was a free man once more. I took a good breath of relief, and reached for the king's irons but too late. In comes the master, with a light in one hand and his heavy walking-staff in the other. I snuggled close among the wallow of snores to conceal as nearly as possible that I was naked of irons, and I kept a sharp lookout and prepared to spring for my man the moment he should bend over me. But he didn't approach. He stopped, gazed absently toward our dusky mask a minute, evidently thinking about something else, then set down his light "'moved musingly toward the door, "'and before a body could imagine what he was going to do, "'he was out of the door, and it closed it behind him. "'Quick!' said the king. "'Fetch him back!' "'Of course, it was the thing to do, "'and I was up and out in a moment. "'But, dear me, there were no lamps in those days, "'and it was a dark night, "'but I glimpsed a dim figure a few steps away. "'I darted for it, threw myself on it, "'and then there was a state of things and lively.' We fought and scuffled and struggled, and drew a crowd in no time. They took an immense interest in the fight, and encouraged us all they could, and, in fact, couldn't have been pleasanter or more cordial if it had been their own fight. Then a tremendous row broke out behind us, and as much as half of our audience left us, with a rush, to invest some sympathy in that. Lanterns began to swing in all directions. It was the watch-gathering from far and near. Presently a halberd fell across my back as a reminder, and I knew what it meant. I was in custody. So was my adversary. We were marched off toward prison, one on each side of the watchman. Here was a disaster. Here was a fine scheme gone to sudden destruction. I tried to imagine what would happen when the master should discover that it was I who had been fighting him, and what would happen if they jailed us together in the general apartment for brawlers and petty lawbreakers as was the custom. And what might... Just then, my antagonist turned his face around in my direction. The freckled light from the watchman's tin lantern fell on it. And by George, he was the wrong man. We'll return with Chapter 37, right after these sponsor messages. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night.
0: Got your happy price, price line.
2: And now, chapter 37 An Awful Predicament. Sleep? It was impossible. It would naturally have been impossible in that noisome cavern of a jail, with its mangy crowd of drunken, quarrelsome, and song singing rapscallions. But the thing that made me sleep all the more, a thing not to be dreamed of, was my racking impatience to get out of this place. "'and find the whole size of what might have happened yonder in the slave quarters "'in consequence of that intolerable miscarriage of mine. "'It was a long night, but the morning got around at last. "'I made a full and frank explanation to the court. "'I said I was a slave, the property of the great Earl Grip, "'who had arrived just after dark at the Tabard Inn in the village on the other side of the water, "'and had stopped there overnight, by compulsion, "'he being taken deadly sick with a strange and sudden disorder.' I had been ordered to cross to the city in all haste and bring the best physician. I was doing my best. Naturally, I was running with all my might. The night was dark. I ran against this common person here, who seized me by the throat and began to pummel me, although I told him my errand, and implored him for the sake of the great earl my master's mortal peril. The common person interrupted at that point, and said it was a lie, and was going to explain how I rushed upon him and attacked him without a word." "'Silence, sirrah!' from the court. "'Take him hence, and give him a few stripes "'whereby to teach him how to treat the servant of a nobleman "'after a different fashion another time. "'Go!' "'Then the court begged my pardon, "'and hoped I would not fail to tell his lordship "'it was in no wise the court's fault "'that this high-handed thing had happened. "'I said I would make it all right, "'and so took my leave. "'Took it in just time, too. "'He was starting to ask me why I didn't fetch out these facts "'the moment I was arrested.' I said I would if I'd thought of it, which was true, but that I was so battered by that man that all my wit was knocked out of me, and so forth and so on, and got myself away still mumbling. I didn't wait for breakfast. No grass grew under my feet. I was soon at the slave quarters. Empty. Everybody gone. That is, everybody except one body. The slave masters. It lay there all battered to pulp. "'and all about were evidences of a terrific fight. "'There was a rude board coffin on a cart at the door, "'and workmen, assisted by the police, "'were thinning a road to the gaping crowd "'in order that they might bring it in. "'I picked out a man humble enough in life "'to condescend to talk with one so shabby as I, "'and got his account of the matter. "'There were sixteen slaves here. "'They rose against their master in the night, "'and thou seest how it ended.' "'Yes,' "'How did it begin?' "'There was no witness but the slaves,' he said. "'They said the slave that was the most valuable "'got free of his bonds, and escaped in some strange way. "'By magic, it was thought, by reason that he had no key, "'and the locks were neither broke nor in any wise injured. "'When the master discovered his loss, he was mad with despair, "'and threw himself upon his people with his heavy stick, "'but they resisted and broke his back, "'and in other and diverse ways did give him hurts,' "'that brought him swiftly to his end. "'This is dreadful. "'It will go hard with the slaves, no doubt, upon the trial. "'Mary, the trial's over.' "'Over? "'Would they be a week, think you? "'And the matter so simple. They were not even half a quarter of an hour at it.' "'Why, I don't see how they could determine "'which were the guilty ones in so short a time.' "'Which ones?' "'Indeed, they considered not particulars like to that.' They condemned them in a body. Wit ye not the law? Which men say the Romans left behind them here when they went? That if one slave killeth his master, all the slaves of that man must die for it. Ah, yes, true, I'd forgotten. And when will these men die? Belike within a four-and-twenty hours, albeit some say they will wait a pair of days more, if peradventure they may find the missing one meantime. The missing one? IT MADE ME FEEL UNCOMFORTABLE. IS IT LIKELY THEY'LL FIND HIM? BEFORE THE DAY IS SPENT, YES, THEY SEEK HIM EVERYWHERE. THEY STAND AT THE GATES OF THE TOWN, WITH CERTAIN OF THE SLAVES WHO WILL DISCOVER HIM TO THEM IF HE COMETH, AND NONE CAN PASS OUT, BUT HE WILL BE THE FIRST EXAMINED. MIGHT ONE SEE THE PLACE WHERE THE REST ARE CONFINED? THE OUTSIDE OF IT, YES, THE INSIDE OF IT, BUT YOU WILL NOT WANT TO SEE THAT. I took the address of that prison for future reference, and then sauntered off. At the first second-hand clothing shop I came to, I got a rough rig suitable for a common seaman who might be going on a cold voyage, and bound up my face with a liberal bandage, saying I had a toothache. That concealed my worst bruises. It was a transformation. I no longer resembled my former self. Then I struck out for that wire, found it, and followed it to its den. It was a little room over a butcher shop, which meant that business wasn't very brisk in the telegraphic line. The young chap in charge was drowsing at his table. I locked the door and put the vast key in my bosom. This alarmed the young fellow, and he was going to make a noise, but I said, "'Save your wind. If you open your mouth, you're dead. Tackle your instrument. Lively now. Call Camelot.' "'This doth amaze me,' he said.' How should such as you know aught of such matters as... I said call Camelot. I'm a desperate man. Call Camelot, or get away from the instrument, and I'll do it myself. What? You? Yes, me. Stop gabbing. Call the palace. He made the call. Now, then, call Clarence. Clarence who? Never mind Clarence who. Say you want Clarence. You'll get an answer. He did so. We waited five nerve-straining minutes. Ten minutes. How long it did seem. And then came a click that was as familiar to me as a human voice, for Clarence had been my own pupil. Now, my lad, vacate. They would have known my touch, maybe, and so your call was surest, but I'm all right now. He vacated the place and cocked his ear to listen, but it didn't win. I used a cipher, I didn't waste any time in sociabilities with Clarence, but squared away for business, straight off, this way. The king is here, and in danger. We were captured and brought here as slaves. We should not be able to prove our identity, and the fact is, I am not in a position to try. Send a telegram for the palace here, which will carry conviction with it. His answer came straight back. They don't know anything about the telegraph. They haven't had any experience yet. The line to London is so new. Better not venture that. They might hang you. Think of something else. Might hang us? Little he knew how closely he was crowding the facts. I couldn't think up anything for the moment. Then an idea struck me, and I started it along. Send five hundred picked knights with Lancelot in the lead, and send them on the jump. Let them enter by the southwest gate and look out for the man with a white cloth around his right arm. The answer was prompt. They shall start in half an hour. All right, Clarence, now tell this lad here that I'm a friend of yours and a deadhead, and that he must be discreet and say nothing about this visit of mine. The instrument began to talk to the youth, and I hurried away. I fell to ciphering. In half an hour it would be nine o'clock.' "'Knights and horses in heavy armor "'couldn't travel very fast. "'These would make the best time they could, "'and now that the ground was in good condition "'and no snow or mud, "'they would probably make a seven-mile gait. "'They would have to change horses a couple of times. "'They would arrive about six, or a little after. "'It would still be plenty light enough. "'They would see the white cloth, "'which I should tie around my right arm, "'and I would take command. "'We would surround that prison "'and have the king out in no time.' It would be showy and picturesque enough, all things considered, though I would have preferred noonday on account of the more theatrical aspect the thing would have. Now then, in order to increase the strings to my bow, I thought I would look up some of those people whom I had formerly recognized and make myself known. That would help us out of our scrape, without the knights. But I must proceed cautiously, for it was a risky business. I must get into sumptuous raiment, "'and it wouldn't do to run and jump into it. "'No, I must work up to it by degrees, "'buying suit after suit of clothes, "'in shops wide apart, "'and getting a little finer article with each change, "'until I should finally reach silk and velvet "'and be ready for my project. "'So I started. "'But the scheme fell through like scat. "'The first corner I turned, "'I came plump upon one of our slaves, "'snooping around with a watchman. "'I coughed at the moment, "'and he gave me a sudden look that bit right into my marrow. "'I judge he thought he'd heard that cough before. "'I turned immediately into a shop "'and worked along down the counter, "'pricing things and watching out of the corner of my eye. "'Those people had stopped "'and were talking together and looking in at the door. "'I made up my mind to get out the back way, "'if there was a back way, "'and I asked the shopwoman if I could step out there "'and look for the escaped slave, "'who was believed to be in hiding back there somewhere.' and said I was an officer in disguise, and my pard was yonder at the door with one of the murderers in charge, and would she be good enough to step there and tell him he needn't wait, but had better go at once to the further end of the back alley and be ready to head him off when I rousted him out. She was blazing with eagerness to see one of those already celebrated murderers, and she started on the errand at once. I slipped out the back way, locked the door behind me, put the key in my pocket, and started off, "'Chuckling to myself, uncomfortable. "'Well, I had gone and spoiled it again. "'Made another mistake. "'A double one, in fact. "'There are plenty of ways to get rid of that officer "'by some simple and plausible device. "'But no, I must pick out a picturesque one. "'It is the crying defect of my character. "'And then I had ordered my procedure "'upon what the officer, being human, would naturally do. "'Whereas when you are least expecting it, "'a man will now and then go and do the very thing "'which it's not natural for him to do. "'The natural thing for the officer to do, in this case, "'was to follow straight on my heels. "'He would find a stout oaken door, "'securely locked between him and me, "'before he could break it down. "'And before he could break it down, "'I should be far away and engaged in slipping "'into a succession of baffling disguises, "'which would soon get me into a sort of raiment "'which was a sure protection from meddling law-dogs in Britain,' "'than any amount of mere innocence and purity of character. "'But instead of doing the natural thing, "'the officer took me at my word and followed my instructions. "'And so, as I came trotting out of that cul-de-sac, "'full of satisfaction with my own cleverness, "'he turned the corner, and I walked right into his handcuffs. "'If I had known it was a cul-de-sac, however— "'There isn't any excusing a blunder like that. "'Let it go. "'Charge it up to profit and loss.' Of course, I was indignant, and swore I had just come ashore from a long voyage and all that sort of thing, just to see, you know, if it would deceive that slave. But it didn't. He knew me. Then I reproached him for betraying me. He was more surprised than hurt. He stretched his eyes wide and said, What? Wouldst have me let thee, of all men, escape and not hang with us, when thou art the very cause of our hanging? Go to.' go too is their way of saying i should smile or i like that queer talkers those people well there was a sort of bastard justice in his view of the case and so i dropped the matter when you can't cure a disaster by argument what is the use to argue it isn't my way so i only said you are not going to be hanged none of us are both men laughed and the slave said "'Ye have not ranked as a fool before. "'You might better keep your reputation, "'seeing the strain would not be for long. "'It will stand it, I reckon. "'Before to-morrow we shall be out of prison "'and free to go where we will, besides.' "'The witty officer lifted his left ear with his thumb, "'made a raspy noise in his throat, and said, "'Out of prison, yes, ye say true, "'and free likewise to go where ye will.' "'just so you wander not out of his grace the devil's sultry realm.' "'I kept my temper and said indifferently. "'Now, I suppose you really think that we're going to hang within a day or two. "'I thought it not many minutes ago, for so the thing was decided and proclaimed. "'Ah, then you've changed your mind, is that it?' "'Even that I only thought then. I know now,' he said. "'I felt sarcastical, so I said—' "'Oh, sapient servant of the law, condescend to tell us what you know. "'That ye will all be hanged to-day at mid-afternoon.' Oho, that shot hit home. Lean upon me. "'The fact is I did need to lean upon somebody. "'My knights couldn't arrive in time. "'They would be as much as three hours too late. "'Nothing in the world could save the King of England, nor me, "'which was more important, not merely to me, but to the nation.' the only nation on earth standing ready to blossom into civilization. I was sick. I said no more. There wasn't anything to say. I knew what the man meant, that if the missing slave was found, the postponement would be revoked. The execution takes place today. Well, the missing slave was found. We'll return with Chapter 38 right after these sponsor messages. And now chapter thirty-eight, Sir Lancelot and the Knights to the Rescue. Nearing four in the afternoon. The scene was just outside the walls of London. A cool, comfortable, superb day, with a brilliant sun, the kind of day to make one want to live, and not die. The multitude was prodigious and far-reaching, and yet we fifteen poor devils hadn't a friend in it. There was something painful in that thought. Look at it how you might." "'There we sat, on our tall scaffold, "'the butt of the hate and mockery of all those enemies. "'We were being made a holiday spectacle. "'They had built a sort of grandstand for the nobility and gentry, "'and these were there in full force, with their ladies. "'We recognized a good many of them. "'The crowd got a brief and unexpected dash of diversion out of the king. "'The moment we were freed of our bonds, "'he sprang up in his fantastic rags, "'with his face bruised out of all recognition.' and proclaimed himself Arthur, King of Britain, and denounced the awful penalties of treason upon every soul there present, if even a hair on his sacred head was touched. It startled and surprised him to hear them break into a vast roar of laughter. It wounded his dignity, and he locked himself up in silence. Then the crowd begged him to go on, and tried to provoke him to it by catcalls, jeers, and shouts of, "'Let him speak! The King! The King!' His humble subjects hunger and thirst for words of wisdom out of the mouth of their master, his serene and sacred raggedness. But it went for nothing. He put on all his majesty, and sat under this rain of contempt and insult unmoved. He certainly was great in his way. Absently, I had taken off my white bandage and wound it about my right arm. When the crowd noticed this, they began upon me. They said, "'Doubtless this sailor-man is his minister. Observe his costly badge of office.' I let them go on until they get tired, and then I said, "'Yes, I am his minister, the boss, and tomorrow you will hear that from Camelot, which... I got no further. They drowned me out with joyous derision. But presently there was silence, for the sheriffs of London, in their official robes, with their subordinates.' "'began to make a stir, which indicated that business was about to begin. "'In the hush which followed, our crime was recited, "'the death warrant read, then everybody uncovered, "'while a priest uttered a prayer. "'Then a slave was blindfolded, the hangman unslung his rope. "'There lay the smooth road below us, we upon one side of it, "'the banked multitude wailing its other side. "'A good clear road, and kept free by the police,' "'How good it would be to see my five hundred horsemen "'come tearing down it! "'But no, it was outside of possibility. "'I followed its receding thread out into the distance. "'Not a horseman on it, or even a sign of one. "'There was a jerk, and the slave hung dangling, "'dangling and hideously squirming, "'for his limbs were not tied. "'A second rope was unslung. "'In a moment another slave was dangling.' In a minute, a third slave was struggling in the air. It was dreadful. I turned away my head for a moment, and when I turned back, I missed the king. They were blindfolding him. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I was choking. My tongue was petrified. They finished blindfolding him. They let him under the rope. I couldn't shake off that clinging impotence. But when I saw them put the noose around his neck, then everything let go in me, and I made a spring to the rescue. And as I made it, I shot one more glance abroad. By George! Here they came, a tilting! Five hundred mailed and belted knights on bicycles. The grandest sight that was ever seen! Lord, how the plumes streamed, how the sun flamed and flashed from the endless procession of webby wheels! I waved my right arm as Lancelot swept in. He recognized my rag. "'I tore away noose and bandage, and shouted, "'On your knees, every rascal of you, and salute the king. "'Who fails shall sup in hell tonight." "'I always use that high style when I'm climaxing an effect. "'Well, it was noble to see Lancelot and the boys "'swarm up onto that scaffold, and heave sheriffs and such overboard. "'And it was fine to see that astonished multitude "'go down on their knees and beg their lives "'of the king they had just been deriding and insulting.' And as he stood apart there, receiving this homage in rags, I thought to myself, well, really there is something peculiarly grand about the gait and bearing of a king after all. I was immensely satisfied. Take the whole situation all around. It was one of the gaudiest effects I ever instigated. And presently up comes Clarence, his own self, and winks and says, very modernly, good deal of a surprise, wasn't it? I knew you'd like it. I've had the boys practicing this long time, privately, and just hungry for a chance to show it off. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us for these three chapters from a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories for the Road. You know we enjoy reviews, and we've had a few recent ones we'd like to share with you. Old listener, five stars. A few years ago in a rave review, I requested you do A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which I read back in the 70s. So glad that you're recording it with obvious enjoyment. Such lines as, I prophesied myself bald headed, and the like are simply wonderful. Thank you for bringing one of my favorite classics to life, John. Twain's favorite creation was Joan of Arc, and you may enjoy that also. Them from Moosey Mama Apple Podcast, U.S. Yes, and I've read parts of Joan of Arc, and he does an excellent job with that. We may share it someday in the future. Thank you, Moosey Mama. And this one, thank you. Simple, wonderful, entertaining, great narration, interesting stories. This is one of my favorite podcasts, no lie. So thank you for being awesome. Now from Kiko, Apple Podcasts, U.S. And this one, totally enjoyable. Five stars. I'm a big fan of all the 1001 Stories podcasts. Great variety, and fun way to listen to and learn about things I wouldn't normally have thought to listen to. Keep up the great work. Down from Kajsa 2, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you all very, very much for taking the time to send us these reviews. They are greatly appreciated. Until next Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone. Stay safe out there. This is your host, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories for the Road. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back soon.